Hey, what's up? This podcast is sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online at mslandbank.com. If you have a land need, look them up in North Mississippi, mslandbank.com. Also sponsored by Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point. If you're headed to the game at the New Dude, traveling through West Point, stop on in there at the Coffee House right on Highway 45 in West Point. You can watch the cheesecakes being made, eat some, and learn a little bit more about it. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Out-recorded Omaha. Here comes the Bulldog baseball team. And there's a ball in the air, deep in the outfield. Got a chance. Got a chance. Gone. Three-run homer. Back to me. Back to me. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Dogpile with Matt Wyatt. I am Brett Hudson, otherwise known as the world's leading expert on Josh Hatcher. Matt, <laughs> did you know that I am now famous for being an expert on Josh Hatcher? Well, you know? well, yeah, I sort of, well, I knew there was a chance, but did you get a, an award, like a major award? Are you being recognized on social media or is that just kind of between us? Uh, I think it's I think it's an inside podcast deal. Uh, <laughs> I have I have yet to hear from my agent relative to an Academy yeah. Award yeah. or uh, anything of of that sort. <clears throat> so I'm still waiting on that recognition. I'm sure it's coming in in the coming days. Sure. But when uh, once Josh Hatcher doubles again, I, I anticipate getting a, a call from my from my agent about uh, well, first of all, several sponsorship deals. I think that's a given. <laughs> Um, and then the, the award shows and, and I'm, I'm just going to try and, and plan my like publicity tours around road weekends. So I don't have to miss any, any games at the dude, I think I figured you would, you would appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I definitely do appreciate that. Well, I couldn't help, but think about it. You know, we talk about Hatcher and then they immediately turn around and give him the start at DH in the Florida series. And it turned out to be, uh. It certainly turned out to be the right move, didn't it? Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. I definitely didn't. Uh, I definitely didn't see all that coming. And I do appreciate everyone that tweeted at me about uh, about Josh Hatcher. That made this week. Uh, that made this week pretty fun. So let's quickly recap uh, what Mississippi State did before in between podcasts before we kind of dive into it in more detail and then look ahead. So since we last spoke. Mississippi State went to top 10. Florida took a road series, won 6-5 and 10-5 before losing the final game 4-2. to two. And then two come from behind uh, midweek wins, 15-4 over Little Rock at home on Tuesday, and then 6-4 at Sanford on Wednesday. Mississippi State is 20-2, 2-1 in league play. Coming up, they've got a three-game set with Auburn over the weekend and a Tuesday game against Mississippi Valley State. We'll podcast after that again. Our, our I've, I've also heard people ask for people who are new listeners to the show. We publish on Thursdays during during baseball season, so this will this will always hit your feed on on Thursdays. Although actually, I shouldn't say always because yeah. we have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series uh, next weekend. So we'll probably have to. It just for that. But most of the time, this will hit on Thursdays. I know people have been asking and wanting clarification. So there is there is that clarification. Let's let's dive into that that Florida series. All right. Shall we? Yeah. Uh, Josh Hatcher 
Josh Hatcher was obviously a big part of that uh, in in his starts. But uh, I want to I want to see how you react to this because I I needed a few minutes to recover from this. And, and this isn't all Florida series, but it's a pretty good bit of it. Do you realize we live in a world in which Jake Mangum is slugging 563? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Brett, you mentioned that in your um, full count piece on the website last week, mattwyattmedia.com. If you're listening, you hadn't seen it, go check that out. Um, there were several things in there. And so you touched on the, the, you know, the power numbers, how they're yeah. better. And for a guy like Jake, they're better. Yeah, and and you know that's on the heels of him going to Florida, and just he didn't just hit a home run. I mean, that thing might be the farthest home. I, well, I don't know if it was measured. Maybe it was, but it looked like it might have been the farthest home run anybody hit this year uh, for state. It was absolutely creamed. I mean, it flew the wall by thirty feet. You know, and <laughs> and then he had you know he's got the doubles that he's racking up. He has the one triple now after I think what he had triple to open the game on Tuesday night. And, um, yep. Yeah. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind as I'm watching all that. And yeah, I didn't realize that was how, um, how high it was. I mean, it really, when you look, he goes five hits back on Tuesday night. You look at what he did on the weekend at Florida last night against Sanford. He had what? Three hits. I think something like that. Y- yep. And and pair all that, he's a leadoff hitter with a 500, way, way over 500 slugging. It's just incredible. I I don't really, I can't find anything in my head, a college player in my head to compare that to as a leadoff hitter, you know. No, I can't, I can't either. I mean, this is, this is a, again, a leadoff hitter uh, for a club with Elijah McNamee, who uh, proved, who proved his power potential on the run to Omaha last year with Justin Foscue in the lineup. We've, we've confirmed his status as an absolute unit on, on this podcast. He's hitting the crap out of the baseball with Jordan Westberg, mm-hmm. who basically every time he touches a baseball, it leaves the bat at over a hundred miles an hour. This is a lineup with all of those weapons. And Jake Mangum is leading the team in doubles. He's got 10. No one else has more than seven. His five sixty three slugging, is only bested by by regular players. Now, Josh Hatcher has a 739, but need a little more sample size on that. By regular players, non-catchers, since, again, sample size, one a little bit more. He's only bested by Elijah McNamee and Justin Foskey. They're at, uh, Foskey is 598, McNamee is 587, Mangum is 563. Even Jordan Westberg slugging 500 right now. He is, he is a leadoff hitter. With 10 doubles in 22 games, so let's see, that's 39 hits, 10 of them are doubles. He's hitting 406, and he's slugging 563. He's part of a significant slugging surge. You mentioned the the full count post. I'll I'll give the folk one number out of there and, and encourage them to, to go to mattwyattmedia.com and the Hudson Report site to find the, the rest of the numbers. Mississippi State through this was before the midweek games. So through 20 games, they had what's the number here? Uh, 78 extra base hits. Going back to 2007, no Bulldog team had more than 70 uh, through the 20 game mark. Mm-hmm. And, and these guys have 78. Going through the 2007 season, the 54 doubles and the 21 homers through 20 games. Both of those are are better than any Bulldog team 
since 2007. And I don't, I don't think I need to tell the listeners of this podcast that there's been some, some pretty good baseball in, in that stretch. And, and this is, this is as good of a power hitting start as any of those teams or better power hitting start than any of those teams got off to. And, and when you're, when you're getting a, what was the number again, a 563 slugging with 10 doubles from your leadoff man, it's pretty easy to see how the power numbers would be pretty ridiculous. And when you've got a starting rotation in a bullpen like this, uh, when you're hitting for power on top of it all, mm-hmm. this is a, a scary team. You know, we're recording this on Thursday morning, and I'm going to I'm going to steal the question and and posit it to you as well. I was on uh, Peter Burns' show on Sirius uh, earlier this morning, and he asked me what's most likely to happen. The men make it to the Sweet 16, the women make it to the national championship game, or this team goes to Omaha. D- brutally difficult question, <laughs> but with with all of these things, mm-hmm. and, and when you factor in the fact that the the men, if they play Virginia Tech in the in the second round, that's more or less a coin flip. Uh, the women, they're probably going to have some tough games on the way to the national title game. I ultimately settled on this team going to Omaha and yeah. with all of the weapons in the pitching staff combined with power numbers like this, I feel like that's a fair conclusion to reach. Did I, did I make a hot take on, no. on his show? What do you think? Oh, no. I mean, I don't think it's a, I wouldn't classify it as a hot take at all. I mean, you're talking about a team is ranked number two in the country right now. And yeah, you know, which a lot of people look at those rankings. I, I seldom do myself. It's just a personal thing. Just because I've seen so much of the, um, you know, the early season baseball fooling you on yeah. teams teams that are supposedly bad and you know and teams that are <laughs> you know supposedly good but they're not and so it can fool you but I just think everything you've seen you know the production at the plate coming along to match the pitching pitching is a lot like defense in other sports yeah you know, like in football everybody says defense travels. In you know in baseball the pitching just travels it does and when you're striking out people and you got an Ethan Small and a JT Ginn as long as those two stay healthy all year long you're just you're slick in the pitching department and so and the other thing is you know all this offensive production here over the last two weeks and winning games and doing it on the road at Florida that's without anything coming out of Rowdy Jordan who's been in the lineup just about every game and he yeah. may be he, you know he had two hits last night he may be getting it going so I don't think it's hot take at all I. I think, um, you know, and also you, you've got a team that has the experience of having done it before making a postseason run. So that's the expectation, which I think that carries a lot of weight also. It does. And, and you bring up a, a good point about Rowdy Jordan. I mean, he was he was straight up taken out of the lineup for that final game against Florida. Josh Hatcher got the start in left field. Uh, and then Brad Cumbus got got two at bats in in his place, but then he comes up with a huge hit in that Samford game. They much like the Tuesday game against Little Rock, they found themselves down four early in the game, and against Little Rock, they they got the bats going pretty quickly and were able to to eradicate that lead mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty quickly. But this was very much not the case. I mean, so Samford goes up four zero in the bottom of the first. And State kind of chips away at it with one in the fourth and one in the fifth, but they don't take control of this game until that seventh inning rally, which Rowdy Jordan had a big part of. He had the uh, the RBI single that tied the game at, at four. And if mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've said it on this podcast, I've said it on full counts and in the past. I think I've mentioned it for 
the last two weeks on on full count. If if Rowdy Jordan becomes what Rowdy Jordan usually is, or if if he becomes what he is supposed to be, this this lineup reaches uh, a new level that is uh, bordering on ridiculous yeah. for for this lineup, and that would more or less solve everything except second base, which is another thing I mentioned in the uh, in the full count post. We're we're not we're not seeing much power out of the second base position, which sounds kind of preposterous, right? Because that isn't usually a slugging position, but it has been with Hunter Stovall in in town last year, and it would have been the year before had he not been injured for so much of of that of that 2017 season. So you're you're seeing all of this without a couple of spots that very well could be uh, something different at, at this point in the year. It's it's truly incredible what uh, what this lineup is doing right now. I, I do have a Twitter question. Can I can I address yeah, that quickly? It. Yeah, what you got? So so yeah. So you mentioned Jake. Mangum being ridiculously good in, in these midweeks, eight hits over the two games, five against Little Rock, three against Sanford. And, and Butch Bailey asked for an update on him and the records and the pace after after that hot streak, which is fair. He upped his average from 365 to 406 in in two games. So the the new the new paces. So he's at 314, 314 career hits. He's tied with ESPN's Chris Burke for 13th in, in SEC history on the Mississippi State list. He's two behind Steve. Is it, am I pronouncing this right? Is it Gendron? It's a Gendron. Right? Yes, yeah, soft G. Gendron. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. He's two behind Steve Gendron for fourth in school history. He's now averaging 1.77 hits per game. So for Jeffrey Ray's state career record of 335, he's on pace to do that in 12 games which is in the South Alabama midweek game in between the road series at Tennessee and Super Bulldog weekend against Alabama for Eddie Furness's SEC record of 352 career hits. His current 1.77 hits per game has him requiring 22 games to get there, which is the Saturday game of the Georgia series at home. I think that's April 27th, but anyway, 22 games. It's the, it's the Saturday home game against Georgia. Now, one thing to point out here, is State won't have two midweek games in the same week again this year. So he's going to have to keep up this pace against SEC pitching far more often from here on out. That's not to suggest that he can't hit 400 against SEC pitching. He hit 437 against league foes as a freshman. But it is a fact that if we're projecting a position player over that, that such of a span of games, things are going to change. These things aren't set in stone. But that is the answer to to Butch's question at, at the moment that the new paces are to flirt with the state career record for career hits in 12 games against in a midweek game against South Alabama, then flirt with the sec record for career hits uh, in the Georgia series at home in, in April. But if that's, that's the answer to Butch's question. And okay. if any of you have questions and things of that nature that you want to hear on, on the pod, just tweet them at me at, at Brett underscore Hudson. Let me know you're, you're asking a question for, for dog pile and I'll, I'll stash it away. Um, maybe we should change your Twitter handle. Let's see some options. We could go, we could change it to at Josh Hatcher prophecy. You know, we could change it to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it could be, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what else it could be. It could be at Josh Stradamus. Josh Stradamus. There's a pun in there. There's a way to do this. And no doubt about it. Um, you know, and Ross Mitchell is rostrophobic, which is a pretty good. Yeah. A title. I, I had a, 
I had a weird run in with Ross um, before the. Uh, it was about an hour or so before first pitch of the Tuesday night game against Arkansas Little Rock because we both okay. we both park in the same parking lot, and I had pulled up in the parking lot and I sat there for like. 10 minutes in the driver's seat with the car running because on my phones, a buddy of mine had sent me a clip from it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which, you know, I I'm a grown person. I can handle the profanity and I, and so there's a lot of hilarity on that show. I find it very funny. A lot of it is very rough though. And I wouldn't let a kid watch it. So I'm just, that's a PSA, but the, the clip was all the, a lot of the best of a Frank. Uh, and so I'm sitting there by myself and I just thought, well, he sent it to me, so I went ahead and clicked play. Well, I got hooked in, so I'm sitting there, and I'm laughing out loud. I'm LOLing, like literally in real life. I'm by myself in my car <laughs> laughing really hard out loud. And then it dawned on me, well, there's people around here. So I kind of look up through the windshield, and there's a couple of fans walking by, kind of just staring at me as they walk by because they could see me sitting there laughing really hard all by myself <laughs> in the car. So I turn red face. I turn my phone. I'm like I got to get out of here and go to the game. And as soon as I open the door, I look and here comes Ross walking through the parking lot. And uh, he had not seen any of it. He didn't know. Uh, but I said to him because now I'm insecure. I said, "Hey, did you hear me laughing in there?" And he was like, "Uh, no." <laughs> <laughs> and I, so then I, it was so awkward, so awkward. And so then I felt the need to tell him why I asked him that question. I said, well, I was in here watching something somebody sent me from this Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and these fans walking by were laughing at me, and I just wondered if you saw it too. And then I go, do you watch that show? you seen that show? He goes, uh, no, not really. <laughs> and I was like, all right, Ross. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, have, Ross. have a great call in the game. And then when he walked away, I thought, that guy thinks that I am a lunatic. That's what he thinks about me at this point. So really, so it's like the it was just awkward. It was just kind of like the story. It was just awkward. The whole thing, <laughs> the life uh, and times of Matt Wyatt, yeah, and gentlemen, running into rosterphobic. Um, but you know, his is rosterphobic. Um, yeah, yours. I don't know. We could change yours to um, uh, stats and and Oreo cheesecake, but that's a little long. Um, and we found Data that out. And takes. Data and takes. Yeah, so all those are options if you have a new suggestion uh, for Brett. But I can work in an Oreo cheesecake reference in my bio. Yeah, do that. I found out, you know, in the last podcast that Oreo cheesecake is your favorite. Hey, speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, on the way to the Little Rock game on Tuesday, I stopped in at Jubilations right there uh, in West Point. So I go yeah, in. I saw. You see my video? Oh yeah. So I I went in and they had three different kinds of cheesecake that you could already, you know, basically in the, the display you could choose which kind you wanted and one of them was white chocolate cheesecake. And mm. yeah, so you know the che- and then the topping and they have white chocolate sprinkled on top and it was the real deal. I got some coffee while I was there with it and it was the real deal for sure. All right, so there's our there's our sponsor plug. Um I tell you what we'll do too, since I just plugged Jubilations. Let's pause about thirty seconds here for a message from Mississippi Land Bank, and then we'll come back. And Brad, when we come back, I'll have a thought I want to throw at you about Rowdy Jordan, and then get back to your notes. So, a message from Mississippi Land Bank. We do more than make a living off the land in North Mississippi. We live for the land too. We live for an early morning duck hunt, time spent in a deer stand, a day of fishing, 
and the outdoor life. For more than 100 years, Mississippi Land Bank has been a great hunting partner for recreational land lovers. By helping to finance the land they set their sights on, we know what a hunter loves and the lay of the land in North Mississippi, and that's where I stand. All right, so thanks to Land, uh, land Bank for always uh, supporting us, Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com. And also uh, shout-out, hat tip to uh, our folks at Elkins Wholesale for supporting the podcast. Uh, when you think clean, think Elkins. Uh, they, help, uh, they helped send Brett up to the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament a while back, and we really appreciate their support also. All right, so here's my thought on Rowdy Jordan. Uh, it's just an um, observation. And, yes, he had a couple of hits, you know, that were big hits in the game for State uh, in their win against Sanford, and more on that later too. But I want to talk about body language, Brett. I noted this on Tuesday night when I was in the broadcast booth with Bart Gregory on the call. And in spite of just, you know, he just cannot get the ball to fall when he has hit the ball hard and squared it up, you know, it's like a one-hopper hot shot to the shortstop or something, you know. He's had yep. some – there's been some some not-so-decent luck in there a few times too, but a lot of pop-ups and weak ground balls. But I never once have seen Rowdy throw something, throw his bat, throw his helmet. And, I mean, I haven't seen so much as – like negative body language, you know, just holding your head down, drooping. He's the same. He goes through the same body language process, if I could throw that term out there, uh, in every game, no matter what. And what I think is, I think and I believe that's very important. I believe it's really important on a team. And different personalities are different, certainly. And there's nothing wrong with every now and then. You know, you've seen Jordan Westberg. Uh, a strikeout, and he'll throw that bat down, you know, and different guys are different. But I just think for a guy who was a freshman All-American, he does have, coming into this year, some young guys looking up to him. He's also on a team that is winning in spite of the fact that he's in the lineup and not getting a bunch of base hits and understands that the team is greater than him and he's not going to foul any kind of mojo up or any kind of, you know, feeling they have right now in a dugout by throwing a little pity party for himself. I just have a lot of respect for the way that he has kind of gone about all this. And the body language, I think, is really important. What do you think? No, I, I think it's a, a great point, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because Rowdy, you know, you mentioned the, like, public outbursts that, that baseball players are known to have at, at times, and, and maybe he's doing that in, in private, yeah. but I really – don't think he is. And that's just my hunch. That's not like sourced information or anything, just based on how I know Rowdy and, and know the people around him. I really don't think he's doing that if at all, even much, because that's just not who he is. He's, he's very, I don't know. I just don't get the vibe from his personality that he's, he's the kind of guy that would mm -hmm. go into the dugout and, and take a baseball bat to the Gatorade cooler. Yeah, I don't think he's right. the guy that would grab the, the bucket of gum and just throw it all over the place. He's a very, I mean, happy go lucky isn't the right phrase, but I think people understand what I'm trying to describe here. He's, he's the type that 
just manages himself very well and, and goes about his business with kind of a, a cheery disposition. And and I do want to run this quote by you on on this subject. This is from Coach Lamonis after after the game. And I just want to be as transparent as possible. I was not at Samford. This is from Mississippi State's release. Okay. Here's the quote from Lamonis on on Rowdy after that hit. It's great to see Rowdy enjoying playing the game. When you're in the funk, the game is not a lot of fun, so it's been hard on him. And here's here's where the quote really hits to this exact subject. He is one of our better personalities, so to see him have success tonight and come up with that big hit was huge. I, I do think there might be some sort of, I guess, clubhouse boost. Not only what we were mentioning earlier in terms of physical and statistical output, from Rowdy Jordan in the left field spot and whatever number he happens to occupy in the lineup. I do think there's some sort of clubhouse boost to a, a likable, enjoyable person like Rowdy Jordan producing and, and having the natural pep in his step that a hitter has when when he's feeling good about himself. And if if this is the hit that, that sparks that, that's certainly a good thing for everybody involved. Yeah. Give me that quote again, the kind of the the – the the right at the end there the good part of the quote he is one of our better personalities so to see him have success tonight and come up with that big hit was huge okay yeah I, did you see the thing on Twitter where uh, they had a the the team account Hell State BB tweeted a video from the dugout from last night like the post game speech that Lamonis gave to the team I did not you didn't know. see that um, somebody. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was Jake or whatever, but at one point, um, Lamonis looks towards, you know, kind of the back of where the players are standing. You can't see who he's looking at it directly, but he says, Jake, what'd you have? Three hits tonight? And then somebody yells, there it was quiet, and somebody, one of the team members yelled, Yeah, but Rowdy had two though. <laughs> and the whole team was like <laughs> and the whole team was like, Yeah, you know. So it was a loose moment, and you know that was pointed out the fact that you know he finally got two hits on the board, and I thought that probably tells you a lot too about the relationships in the team. It's not a prickly thing at all, you know. This is not a hey, don't bring that up because that guy's hot under the collar about this slump he's in. It, it was yeah. the, the opposite, you know, it, which is it kind of gives me an indication they probably have the right. Uh, emotional state. They don't have a lot of egos floating around in there. They can, you know, they can handle it loosely. So, um, and what about, I know I'm kind of hijacking all your notes and thoughts here a little bit. I don't mean to do that, but what about a team that, you know, you get ranked highly after beating Florida. I think what I said, uh, what I say, um, it was, I think I tweeted that it was rat poison. I said, you know, there's yeah, some yeah. there's some good old rat poison for you before you host your first SEC home series against a really good Auburn team. They rank you number two, but back to back nights in the midweek when you know emotions are hard to come by sometimes in the midweek. Sometimes both games you're down four to nothing in the first inning, and both games you come back and win it. That to me, I I'm not so sure that for me. That is more impressive than getting all up and sky high and going putting it on Florida. And I know that sounds crazy, and they did go to Florida, and Florida's better and super talented. But, man, I've seen so many teams and so many Mississippi State teams, Brett. 
you're playing Little Rock and then you're on the road at Sanford and you're down four nothing in the first and you're not coming back from that. And this team not only did it, they did it handily back on Tuesday and then fight and scratch and claw and do it at Sanford last night with the Sanford students over there chanting overrated, which is it's uh, ridiculous. But um, I'm really impressed with the fact that in this midweek, they came back from four down. You know, their starting pitchers not making it out of the first inning in Sarantola and Plumlee, and they come back and win the games. I'm really impressed. Oh, I, I agree with you completely on the on on those midweek things. So I have two points on on that. But can I first deliver my rant about the overrated chance? <laughs> I want to hear it. My dad had a great tweet about it. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Here's it doesn't make sense because the only thing an overrated chant does is devalue the thing your team is doing at that very moment. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's all that does. It, mm. it makes no sense to me. Like I, I just I just don't understand. Like, uh, okay, so if I'm just going to create a hypothetical here, like if I'm a, if I'm a Texas tech fan and uh, I don't know, Texas, probably they're usually better than tech and football, Texas comes to Lubbock Mm. and Texas tech is just kicking their teeth in. Why would I chant overrated at the team that's better than us (laughs) than we're beating? Like it, all it does is devalue the accomplishment that you're creating in front of your very eyes. Like your team is doing this fantastic, awesome thing. Don't devalue it by calling the team overrated. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. Explain this to me. (laughs) I I don't get it. Like why as a fan would you devalue the thing your team is doing? The good thing that your team is doing and you're devaluing it. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. I will never understand it. Y'all gotta stop this. Well, it it doesn't make sense. That's established. You know, it can't be argued otherwise. It doesn't make sense. The reality is, it's born out of the um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, Petty nonsense. Yeah, it's born out of inferiority complex. That's what it's yeah. born out of. And it speaks to one inferiority complex and two, it speaks to the fact that you're there because your team is playing against a good team. Right? So Steve Robertson tweeted that they had uh, almost 3000, maybe a little under 3000 people there at the game, but it was way up there on their attendance mark for Sanford baseball for home games. And I think he yeah. said that they had the largest student attendance maybe they'd ever had. Well, all right. It means it speaks to the fact that the reason half the people were there was to see Sanford host the number two team in the country, a team that was in the mm-hmm. college world series. You're there not because of your own team. You're there because of the opponent. So, therefore, your focus and your thinking process is all about the opponent, not about your team. Therefore, when you get in a moment now your team is all of a sudden up, your focus is still on the fact, not on what your own team is doing, it's on the other guys. And you're kind of, here I see I'm I'm going, you know, psychologist here. You're going inferiority complex and saying, you know, instead of, you know, patting yourself on the back, you're going to tell the other guys are overrated and the whole thing's stupid. It just it baffles me, and I will never understand it. Okay, to get back to get back <laughs> on subject, I'll, or at least attempt to. 
uh, the the two things on the midweeks that, that you mentioned earlier. First, uh, they're they're incredibly important for what this team wants to do, which is host a regional and maybe even become a national seed and host a super regional. Uh, Coach Lamonis, uh, I don't know if he's explicitly said this in in a public setting, but the way he's treating this midweek these midweek games certainly suggests that he is trying to collect every single one of those wins available because those things have an impact on RPI and RPI is the metric that is used by the selection committee for, for national seeds and all that. So if you can win these midweek games and Mississippi state has yet to lose one, if they can win these midweek games and, and say, and and say two losses in the midweeks would have cost them maybe six or seven spots in, in RPI. Well, that's, that's the difference in, in being number 15 and being number 19, which is the difference in hosting a regional and not hosting a regional. Or if state continues to be this awesome, maybe it's the difference between being number six and being number 10, which is the difference between hosting a super regional and having to go on the road Mm -hmm. for that super regional. So it's, it's big that they're pulling out these wins in, in pretty adverse situations to, to help their RPI come, come end of May, beginning of June, but also it shows program growth from last year to this year. I, I go back to something Jake Mangum said after the first midweek game of the year, uh, after the Youngstown State Series, they play UAB on a Wednesday. Graham Ashcraft is on the mound for UAB, former Bulldog. He comes in, pitches very, very well, but Mississippi State claws and fights their way to that 3-2 win. And, and Jake was pretty blunt. He said last year, we probably would have lost that game. That was That is just a game that last year's team would have lost. And I bet last year's team would have lost at Sanford. That exact game last year, I bet that team loses that game. But this year, they won it. And it shows the program growth required to be that national seed, to be that team that can host a regional, to be that team that can make that run to Omaha. Again, games like that, yeah, they're not going to move the national rate the the national needle and yeah they're they're probably not going to be sitting there in the selection committee room saying man they won at Sanford on a Wednesday how yeah. about that that's not going to happen but it's the accumulation of all of those things that that leads to this team being all of the things that it can be and all the things that this fan base thinks it should be mm-hmm. with all of this talent and and getting back to Omaha maybe hosting a regional things like that are are really important and and they don't draw the attention that winning a series at Florida does or probably these next two weekend series are are going to but they they matter man they matter mhm they certainly do you know there's some luxuries built in there too in the way you can approach some midweeks one is the depth of your pitching staff Right, because I mean, this is a yep. Wednesday night game, and they ran Barlow, Colby White, and Cole Gordon out there. And and by the way, those last two last night against Sanford, what Colby struck out one or two. I think Gordon struck out all three. Uh, I'm pulling up the box score right now. Um, Colby White got two, and Cole Gordon got three. You're right. So five of your last six outs to finish the game are strikeouts with two guys that you're going to throw out there on Friday night against Auburn if you need them, which you probably And Barlow. Will. Barlow's your best lefty out of the pen right That's now. That's right. Barlow goes in, throws a seventh. So even that, it speaks to, yeah, the approach and the mentality towards the midweek games. Because, look, Sanford is a postseason team. 
they almost are they are almost always uh in the postseason and that's and it's a good team and you're over there RPI mm-hmm. RPI appreciates games that you win away from home and you're just so deep in your pitching staff that that's a luxury too and and yeah you're deep but part of the, you're even deeper than what you have on paper because you're going into every weekend counting on Ethan Small on Friday and JT again on Saturday to get you six, seven innings into the, those games too mm-hmm. with a chance to win. So, And Jake Mangum's heating up. I mean, look, do you realize this? Mangum is – State has played 22 baseball games this year total. They've played 22 baseball games. Jake Mangum has multiple hits in 13 of them. <laughs> Think about that. So, you know, way more than more than half of your games, Mangum has multiple hits, you know, <laughs> in these games. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And look at this. So, so look at it even more recently, because recently is when he's been the hottest. He's got multiple hits in five of the last six games. And seven out of the last ten, he's got multi-hit games. Uh, how about this? He's been hitless in four games this year. He has three or more hits in five games this year. <laughs> yeah. So if you if he goes hitless, like he went zero for four in the third game at Florida. Yeah. If, he, if he does that, then look out at next one. Look out. He's coming back with <laughs> five or four or whatever it is in the next one. You know, just depending. And so yeah, he had. I mean, it's just incredible. So you look at five, you look at the last six games. So five of the last six, he's had multiple hits. These are those games. Four for five against Grambling with four runs scored. Two for five against Florida, scored a run. Three for five against Florida, scored two runs. Ofer against Florida in the third game. Then this week, five for six against Little Rock. And then three for five last night against Sanford. It's just ridiculous. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, and then there's... He cannot be stopped. Well, and the thing is, okay, so he's batting first. You're going to go into the Auburn series. Rowdy Jordan, a kid from Auburn, batting ninth. Okay, so he's a kid that's in front of Mangum. And, oh, by the way, behind Mangum, what do you have? Westberg, Allen, McNamee, Foscue. And McNamee's hit streak came to an end last night against Sanford. I think he was at 12 games. or I think it's 12 games. And he went 0 for 1 because they walked him three times. But all that protection behind him, so he's going to see pitches. Well, you go uh, Rowdy Jordan in front of him in the nine hole, so what are people going to do to Rowdy? See, here's the genius of moving Rowdy into the nine hole. It's, and it's not – we've seen it all these years. It's not just, oh, you know, guys struggling or worse hitter, put him in the nine hole. This is it. You put him in the nine hole, you got the leadoff man coming up first, uh, right after yep. him. So what are teams going to do? They're going to come hell or high water, they're throwing strikes to Rowdy Jordan. Because the last thing anybody wants to do is put in any situation, no outs or two outs, is put Rowdy Jordan on first base to let Jake Mangum hit with a guy out there. So and Rowdy's quick; he'll score from first if you let him. That's it. He's going to score from first because what Mangum's going to do is go up there and rattle the baselines. You know, he's going to skip one over either bag and go running, and and so Rowdy's going to get pitches to hit. And right now, if you're a team like Auburn coming in this weekend. You're you're definitely going to have your scouting report on how to pitch Rowdy Jordan. You know, probably it's hey, if he's in the left-handed batter's box, 
you know, throw it in on the inside part of the plate under his hands. You know, he's going to be over the top and, you know, backdoor him if you're a right-hander under his hands. If he's in the right-handed batter's box, a switch hitter, you know, pitch him away on the outside part of the plate because he's trying to pull everything. He's going to chop it. But mm-hmm. but hit the plate. The The command is going to be don't get off the plate because if you're just going to force him to hit the ball, he's not hitting it. But at the same time, you got your scouting report, and Auburn's going to go, yeah, but the kid was a freshman All-American last year. He definitely has ability. We saw what he did down the stretch as a freshman switch hitter. And he just had two hits against Sanford. Is he back on track? Are, are we sure we want to go in here and just groove the ball and make sure it's over the plate for him so he gets good swings? So now you start to get into this mental game where it's really going to help Rowdy being in the nine hole in front of Mangum with Mangum so hot because teams are going to be determined. I mean, you're going to have – I'm serious when I say this. You're going to have pitchers on the other team thinking, coach is going to take out a whip and lash me in the dugout if I walk Rowdy Jordan. I've got to throw. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They're going to say, I've got to throw him strikes. So he's going to get pitches to hit to try to get himself out of this because Mangum is so hot behind him in the one hole. I agree. I agree completely. I, I, I think you, you said it well, that that's the genius of, mm-hmm. of putting Rowdy in the nine hole because, and I, I've mentioned this before, this is still the guy that led last year's team in slugging, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like he's a bad hitter. He's eventually going to snap out of this. And, and when he does, Lord help you. I mean, yeah, maybe this this early season cold streak is going to be enough to keep his uh to keep his season numbers from from climbing up into that 300 plus range where a hitter of his caliber might usually be. But that might not matter when it comes May and June and Rowdy is hitting the way that Rowdy usually hits and he may not be in the nine hole forever. But while he is in the nine hole, if this is the hit that turns his season around and he starts hitting and he can create men on base for again, a leadoff hitter that is slugging five sixty something at the moment, this lineup becomes ridiculous, but it it ought to be a pretty fun challenge for, for this group against Auburn. I've, I've only got a a few notes on Auburn. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. So they're, they're very impressive in terms of resume. They've got series wins over Georgia Southern and UCF at UCF. By the way, then they swept Tennessee last weekend. They're not very impressive offensively. Definitely bottom half of the SEC in most offensive statistics. I want to say 12th in batting average somewhere in that range. But they do steal bases. They're tied for fourth in the league with 40 of those. They're 40 for 44 as a team. Uh, Case and Howell and Will Holland both have 10 steals each. The pitching is fantastic. So they lead the league in ERA 2.11. Uh, I recently complimented State's ability to pound the zone, allowing 57 walks this year. Well, Auburn's allowed 60, so credit where it's due there. And Tanner Burns, y'all got to tune in to watch this guy pitch. He's got a 0.54 ERA and a 0.6 whip over 33 and a third innings, 48 strikeouts in those 33 and a third, 48 strikeouts, 15 hits, five walks. Allow Tanner Burns is amazing. You've got to see this guy pitch. It's going to be a fantastic test for the Mississippi State lineup, top to bottom. So that's what that's what Auburn is right now. They're not an excellent 
hitting team, but their pitching has been so good that they've they've racked up some really impressive wins this early in the year. They really have. Well, and Butch Thompson, you know, is a guy that everybody in Starkville likes Butch. Uh, everybody's looking forward to getting to shake his hand, see him again, and all that kind of stuff. And and so you have that dynamic going on, a lot of familiarity. He's got guys on his staff who, uh, you know, spent time in Starkville or know a lot of people and stuff. So it, it's it's one of those where, you know, it's two really good teams that are going to be really competitive with each other, I think, in all three games. Uh, most likely we're going to have a quick game on Friday night. <laughs> you know, this, I sure hope so, with the women tipping off around 8.30. I sure hope so. I know. Well, and I'm saying, Brett, like, okay, chances of it being a two-and-a-half-hour game are slim. <laughs> slim. But it should be a quick game. I it, Would it surprise anyone if this thing on Friday night wound up, you know, one to nothing or three to two. No, it wouldn't surprise. That's actually what everybody expects. And because they, they pitch it so well and ballpark's going to be full of people. It is just going to be absolutely cram packed full on Friday and Saturday and likely on Sunday too. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. I think fun. I know sometimes, Hey, it's going to be fun. That's a throwaway word or phrase. no, I really think it's accurate. This is going to be fun. Either way, win or lose for either team, this is going to be a really fun weekend. It is. You mentioned the um, – just. and this is my last note here. You mentioned the uh, the pitching matchup between uh, Ethan Small and Tanner Burns. Yeah. Uh, they're both uh, – they're the top two in the SEC in strikeouts right now. Ethan Small has 51. Tanner Burns has 48. So I feel like every time someone gets a hit against a starting pitcher – uh, against either of those two, there should be fireworks. Yeah, I think so too. All right, Brett, good stuff. You know, I'm 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 such a baseball fan. I could just go on and on and on. It's probably good. you and me both, brother. It's probably good that I have a radio show waiting on me to get started to force me to end the podcast and shut up about it because I could just go on and on and on. Um, kind of <laughs> wish it did. And I, I'm actually I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to basketball season being over because that's fun too. But I'm kind of looking forward to when we when that does happen. We'll be uh, looking at you know recording this and publishing Dogpile twice a week as we get into what is going to be baseball only season around here, and that's yep. another thing that'll be fun too. All right, great stuff as always, man. Appreciate you. Yep. Talk to you later. All right, that's Brett Hudson. I'm Matt Wyatt. Appreciate y'all listening to Dogpile. Uh, let the folks at Mississippi Land Bank at Jubilations Cheesecake. And at Elkins Wholesale, know that you listen and that you appreciate their support as well. And we'll see you next time. See you. Shouts to Josh Hatcher. Yeah.